Okay, last week, we looked at four verses that really formed a really, I think, a great message for all of us that we needed to hear. And, you know, I always like to do a quick recap because all of these lessons kind of slide together. And, uh, you know, uh, verse 17 last week was talking about doing violence to the blood uh, of any person. And historically, I, I took you back to Numbers 35, Genesis 9, 6, and Exodus 20. And I explained to you how it's talking about, you know, historical, under the law, somebody murdering somebody. We went through the whole aspect of that, and I defined it all for you, you know, in the historical context out of Numbers chapter 35, which really is the key chapter on it. And then I showed you inspirationally that it's a great picture of the principle found in 1 John chapter 3, verse 15, that the Lord tells us that when we as Christians have hatred in our heart for somebody or hate a brother or a sister in Christ or, or another Christian, that in God's heart and God's mind, you've committed murder. You've murdered them. And, uh, you know, that's a great unknown principle today that is uh, really um, a powerful thing. And, of course, it all goes back to a hardened heart, somebody that won't forgive somebody, somebody that wants to hold a grudge against somebody. And, uh, you know, and it's a great truth that, you know, we talked about this out of that. God never just judges our actions. We get the idea that if their actions are seemingly good, that it's okay. God never really judges the actions. A great principle is that he judges the attitude that produced that action. The action can be honorable, but the attitude could have an ulterior motive to it. And it's a great thing. This is why way back in the beginning of Proverbs, chapter 4, verse 23, it talked about the importance of keeping thy heart with all diligence because out of it come the issues of life. You know, I didn't tell you this last week because I was kind of saving it for blending into this week, but uh, I heard a guy preach a message on uh, verse 17. Uh, it's been a long time ago, a number of years ago. And the uh, first thing he did was obviously he made his case historically, which is what you want to do. And then you want to move for that into the inspirational. And he applied it then to us. And he said, and I thought it was a great message, and he said that when you hate another Christian, another brother in Christ, and you harden your heart toward them, will not forgive them, and you have an issue with them in your heart, and literally hate them. That verse there that says when you do violence to the blood of any person is not talking about, in the New Testament anyhow, not talking about uh, the person in particular, but in reference to the blood of Christ that covered that person's sins and covered your sins. And that when you hate someone in your heart or you won't have a hardened heart toward them or you do have a hardened heart toward them, when you do violence to the blood, it's not them. It's the blood of Christ that covers them. And, you know, you know why I can't hate you? Because I got to look through Christ to see you. So if I hate you, then I hate Christ. And that's the way it works. And it's, it's totally foreign today. And that's why so many of God's people get into the messes they get into, get a hardened heart, get an attitude about somebody, and the truth of the matter is, whoever, if it's another brother and sister in Christ, it, that's why God gave us a process to fix it. Because if you don't, the violence that you do is against the blood of Christ, not that person. And it was a very interesting message. And, uh, you know, it hurts the cause of Christ. And it was a great message, and I never forgot it. And it, I got the little notes in along that verse there. Then we defined in verse 17, he talked about a pit. And we saw that from an unsaved man's perspective, that would be hell, the bottomless pit, Revelation chapter 20. But I took you over in Isaiah chapter 38, verses uh, 17, and showed you from a saved man's perspective, it's a pit of corruption. 
at falling into a pit that you can't get out of as a Christian. You just get it getting worse and worse, all because you forsake the basic fundamental little principles of every Christian in their life of what they should be. And as we get worse and worse, our heart gets more hardened and hardened to the things of God. When it comes to the church, God's people, there's a lot of different uh, aspects that the church does. But if you wanted to boil it down to what the church does, not only with unsaved people, but also with saved people, two fundamental things. The first one is forgiveness, because an unsaved person needs to be forgiven. And then the second one is restoration. An unsaved person needs to be forgiven in Christ, but then he needs to be restored the image back to God that he can have the fellowship. But in a saved sense, it's the same thing. People are not always going to act the way you want them to act. They're not always going to be. Sometimes they're going to do things that rub you the wrong way. You know what? And, And things that are wrong to you. But at the end of the day, no matter what, no matter what it may be, those two principles not only apply to an unsaved person, but to a saved person. The aspect of forgiving, the aspect of restoration. And you just simply not get around those. You can put everything else in your life in place and have those two out of whack, and you have lost the fundamentals of the Christian faith. We, you know, we as God's people are forever famous for one thing, and we all like to do this. And it simply is to pick and choose what part of the Bible we want to put into our lives and what part we don't want in our lives. And it's an incredible thing. You know, I have guys, I had a guy one time, he, he was upset about the fact that, uh, you know, that we were, uh, after, after, after whatever we were doing, we would go, they would go to a little uh, taco place over here and, and have tacos, but it was a place that sold alcohol. And, you know, he was just, him and his wife came in and they were just thought that was the most terrible thing on the planet that, you know, you would, <clears throat> you would violate the scriptures of going into a place to sell alcohol, uh, you know, to eat tacos. And, I mean, he didn't quite get the fact that then if that's the case and you're going to run with that, then you can't ever go get gas because most gas stations sell beer. You can't go to any restaurant because they all sell liquor. But that wasn't the best of it. About four or five years later, he went out to do his own thing. And here's a guy that was so concerned about eating tacos in a place because of the biblical principles, but he went out and started a church. He just threw every principle away of how to do it. We all like to pick and choose what we want to do. That's just human nature. And what everybody ought to work at is you ought to work at applying all the Bible into your life, not just the parts that you like. And if there's one problem that God's people has, it's that. I mean, it's that simple problem. I had another guy one time, you know, he's, he's big on all these things with, you know, in the Bible and churches and all this stuff and, and wants to, the Bible and laying out the Bible. And, uh, and he's, he's a stickler on all the doctrines of the Bible. And he would fight for them, which is a good thing. But when it came to establish his own ministry, he threw out the principles that talked about that whatever ministry you have needs to be under the authority of a New Testament local church. and just goes and does his own thing. We, we, we take what we want in the Bible that we want to stand for, but the things in the Bible that we don't really like and don't want to change about us, we take what we want and leave the rest. And you can't do that. You know, in dealing with people, I always ask people this. You've got an issue with somebody or you've got a problem. You know, you know how you find out if you're right or you're wrong? If you were counseling somebody with the same problem, would you give them the advice from the Bible that you're following and dealing with them? That'll kill you. That's why I never remind myself of that. <laughs> and again, it simply comes down to the importance of all of us getting God's mind. 
that we look at things the way that he does. Now, we are A-OK with the things that fit into our agenda, but uh, not OK with what we don't, you know, we don't want to uh, totally uh, put into our lives because the Bible's very clear on it. And as a child of God, uh, you know, we never have that option. I'm sorry. I mean, we have a lot of options under grace, but I want to tell you one we don't have. Not doing what's right isn't one of them. We have a lot of options under grace. And praise the Lord for it. I'm glad we're not under the law. I wouldn't have anybody to preach to this morning. I'll be dead. And if you did make it here, there'd be nobody to preach to you because I'd be dead. We have a lot of options under grace. But I'll tell you one option we never have, and that is not to do what's right in any given situation. Now, I must say that that's the blessing in any church. That's the blessing and the benefit of a good, solid, biblical preaching platform in any church that really believes and teaches the Bible. That's just right down the line with the Bible that you can't move left or right on it. It'll keep us accountable to the truth and and open up, you know, to the place that uh, we have to be everything that God wants us to be. And that's the way God intended it to be. You know, many pastors today, they'll, they'll only preach that which will not offend their congregation. You see it all the time. Uh, they'll, they don't want to make, they're afraid they'll make their people mad. They'll pray that their people get mad and they'll leave. And so they'll tiptoe around in their preaching. They won't preach hard. You probably in most churches today, Baptist churches, certainly in the evangelical mess, you haven't heard a good message on hell in 25, 30 years. Nobody's going to preach on sin. We're going to sidestep the issues because we'll talk about the love of God, the grace of God, how great we all are, how wonderful we are. We'll take the psalm, uh, you know, how great thou art to God and change it to how great we are. But when it comes down to really preaching the book where we really need it, they're not going to do it. And that, <coughs> that'll never work, nor will it ever honor God. You know, I have one thought when it comes to preaching or dealing with people or whatever the case may be, and I settled this a long time ago. It's found in Romans chapter 3, verse 4. Let God be true and every man a liar. The book's the book, and it says what it says. And if you think I like everything it says, I don't. But you know what? I don't have that option. You just preach the Word of God. Paul said it in season or out of season. You let the chips fall where they may, you know, whether it's convenient or not convenient. Truth is truth. Then we saw in verse 18 the importance of walking uprightly before the Lord. And as I told you last week, that is really the key to it all. You know, there's a bitter lesson in life that uh, when we will not surrender everything of ourselves to the Lord, we want to hold those things that we want to keep. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bitter lesson that whatever we are not willing to fix in time, will find its way back to our family and to our kids. And it's just as true as I'm standing up here before you. You know, one of the greatest studies you ought to take in the Bible sometime is found in Leviticus chapter 13. It's one of the single greatest studies in the Bible, and it's a great chapter on leprosy. And leprosy in the Bible is a picture of sin in our lives today. Leprosy came into being in a person's life because of great uncleanliness. And when you and I get unclean before God, we get sin in our lives. And that sin in Leviticus chapter 13 is a picture, uh, of leprosy in 13 is a picture of our sin today. And it's one of the most profound things that, that, that you could ever find in the Bible about you and me. Because there's three stages of leprosy. And it matches the three stages of sin in our lives that we go through. The first stage of leprosy, there's a leprosy that gets in your flesh. 
And that'll be a picture when you begin to get out of fellowship with God and it begins to affect you in your personal life. And you start to walk away from God and no longer are you walking uprightly. Then there's a leprosy that gets into your clothes. And that's where once it moves into your flesh, it becomes part of your lifestyle. Now it gets into your clothes. You dress like the world. You talk like the world. You look like the world. You smell like the world. You think like the world. And then there's a third leprosy, and that's a leprosy that not only gets into your flesh and gets into your clothes, but there's a leprosy now that gets into your house. And that'll be your sin not being taken care of, your inability to forgive and forget, your inability to move on and get past things not only will affect you, but it will work its way right back down into your home. Incredible chapter. Verse 19, sowing the seed we saw, the word of God in your heart, and then tilling the ground to get all the bread out of it you can. And, you know, we talked about that that's what our church is really all about, giving you the word of God, putting it out to you, but then helping you cultivate it, giving you the word of God, but helping you dig it out and develop your own life with what we give you. We're a family here. We, we, all we have is each other. We have to help each other. We have to take care of each other. And we have to bear each other's burdens. And Romans chapter 14, 1 said, are you spiritual? Are you? You want to be spiritual? Are you really spiritual this morning? Okay. He that is spiritual ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. Now, how spiritual are you? And, and that's just the way it works. Then we saw verse 20, the faithful man abounding uh, in the blessings of God. Wow. And after three or four weeks and seeing all the verses pulled together, we've now seen a very simple formula. You get saved, and from that salvation, you build your fellowship. From that fellowship with Christ comes your joy. From that joy, based on the biblical fellowship, comes your happiness. That comes your contentment, and that equals your faithfulness. And now you have the blessings of God in your life, no matter what it may be. And, you know, I gave you a great verse last week in Matthew 25, 21. It's one of my verses that all my life is, is you know, if you're faithful over the little thing, God will make you rule over the many. Our lives, if we have big problems in our lives, and some of God's people do today. If we have major, huge problems in our world today, you know where it started? It all started with just little things. It's just the little things. Now, today... Having that, we want to see how we can pull this all together. We will see in, in a few more verses and, and in time uh, develop, uh, in, as we've seen the last couple of weeks, and try to put it into an understandable format as we kind of sew all this together. And this uh, chapter is, is, has been an ongoing chapter, chapter 28. So I want to read for you today verses 21 and, and 22 and 23, and here's what it says. To have respect of persons is not good. For for a piece of bread that man will transgress. He that hasteneth to be rich hath an evil eye, and considereth not that poverty shall come upon him. He that rebuketh a man afterwards shall find more favor than he that flattereth with the tongue. Mike, I see you and your wife's up here from Wichita. Would you stand up and ask God blessing on the service today? Good to have you here today. Thank you, buddy. Now, verse 21 says, To have respect of persons is not good. For, 
for a piece of bread, that man will transgress. Now, this verse alone is one of the most powerful, yet one of the most damaging verses in all the Bible dealing with pastors and churches and people today. And along with this verse here in Proverbs, we have the New Testament principles that will support this verse as a great New Testament context in the church age. And, you know, to start out, we just go over to Romans chapter 2. You don't have to really turn to it. You write it down, I'll read them for you. But in Romans chapter 2, verse 11, it says, For there is no respect to a persons with God. God doesn't have a social class. God doesn't have a pecking order. God doesn't have a ladder-climbing Christianity. Then in James chapter 2, verse 9, it, it gets better as we go on down through here. It says, But if you have respect to persons, you commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressor. And of course, that law would go back to Proverbs 28 where we're at. And then we want to add Galatians chapter 1, verse 10 to it. Paul speaking here, and he says, Do I now persuade men or God? That's the question. Or do I seek to please men? That's a question. I should not be a servant of Christ. He's simply saying, if you seek in your life, in your ministry to please men, and you seek to do it and make and persuade men for your own benefit, then you don't need to be a servant of Christ. Then, of course, the icing on the cake is in Colossians chapter 3, verse 25. It says, but he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done. And then he puts this in at the end so you don't miss the context. Then there is no respect of person. Wow, what a verse. You know what it is? doesn't matter how much money you got. doesn't matter who you are, who you think you are. If it's wrong, it's wrong. And when a man in the pulpit tries to please man instead of and persuade man instead of God, then uh, in God's mind, he's not even his servant. Now, <clears throat> I have seen in all my years in the ministry, and I grew up through the system, I have seen this clear violation of Scripture all my years, uh, even all my years, and everything that I've done. I've seen it in churches. I've seen it with pastors. I've seen these guys cater to the rich and the famous and caring absolutely nothing for the common, ordinary people. And, uh, you know, and it, it's one of those things where I, I have just seen it. Back in the day, I remember staff meetings on Monday morning and the excitement with the pastor and all the other little wannabes in there because a federal judge and his family came to church on Sunday and we might have a chance to have judge so-and-so join our church. Wow, would that make our church great? Oh, yes, judge so-and-so come to our church. I've seen it when a rich corporate executive showed up on Sunday. Wow, everybody was so excited. Some filthy rich order of a company. You know, I remember one time there was an evangelist that <clears throat> was uh, about as phony as any $3 bill that you ever could have. He started out with Youth for Christ. Then he broke from Youth for Christ. He, he worked them for all that he could get. Then he broke out of Youth for Christ and he started working the Baptist circles. And he, he sucked everything out of them that he could get. And when he got everything out of that, then he switched gears and went to the charismatic. And he worked them as long as he could. And then when he worked everybody, he started his own church over here in, in Kansas. Ripped everybody off over there. Got everybody involved. Threw him out of there. Now he's someplace else doing what he does best which is a spiritual gift, ripping people off. And it was a funny thing. I remember back in the day when he was working the Baptist crowd that he joined 
the church that I was associated with at that point because as he got up that night and told in front of everybody, oh, well, the pastor had him up. Would brother so-and-so come up and, and close in prayer? We have so-and-so, a great evangelist, is just preaching all around the country, and he's here today in our church tonight in our service. And when he's, when he's not on the road, he's in church. And here he is. Would you close out in prayer? He came up. I mean, this guy had a 40-weight oil voice. It was as smooth as you could ever want. And much different than mine. I sound like two broken gears grinding together. But he was smooth and slick. And he got up there, and I was sitting down in the front, and, I, I, and he, he laid the bomb. And boy, the pastor just about, uh, I, I hope he had those little uh, undies on that, that soaks up because he wet his pants, I guarantee you. And he announced that night that he was going to join that this church was going to be his home church. And the, I mean, it just ripped into a roar. And he, everybody, the pastor cried, wept, hugged him, like the great evangelist who's winning the world to Christ is going to have my church, that's his home church. Little did anybody know that he'd already joined two other churches and said the same thing. That's how it works. That's how it works. Somebody with a lot of money or status, then you suddenly think that, wow, what a great addition they'll be to our church, make our church something special. So they get wined and they get dined. They get called on to pray. Oh, I've seen them put in positions of being a deacon when they had no, I had a dog that'd be a better deacon. I've seen them put in charge of finance committees because the idea being, well, if he can be a corporate success and make all this money, putting him in charge of our finances here will really, oh, it doesn't work that way. I've seen them put on building committees. I've seen them put on every committee to kind of draw them in, to get them to stay, to make them feel important. Any place of prominence within the church to exalt them so they'll be part of your church. Believe you me, folks, politics aren't always found just within the world of Democrats and Republicans. I watched just all my ministry and I saw the games that were played behind the scenes. I don't hate anybody on this planet, but there are things that I despise and hate with a passion. And one of them is, in Baptist churches, the system. The political system. I was part of it and seen it all my life. You don't hear much about it anymore, but back in the day, I grew up in the BBF. The BBF was the Baptist Bible Fellowship. The Baptist Bible Fellowship actually started with the split of J. Frank Norris back in the late 40s. And uh, it, they uh, split with Norris. Norris started the World Baptist Fellowship down in Texas. And a bunch of his followers under a guy by the name of Beecham Vick started in Springfield, Missouri, the Baptist Bible Fellowship. Back in the day when Baptist churches ruled the roost and they were going to town, they all were connected with the BBF. Most people don't have an understanding of how it all worked back then. There wasn't no evangelical churches then. I mean, there was a few Bible churches around. Nothing like today. The guys that hauled the mail were the Baptists, and they were out of Springfield, Missouri. The greatest names that you'd ever hear about preachers were all connected with that because most of them were J. Frank Norris's boys that left. It's all gone now. 
But I remember as the thing went on and went on and, and they started to start other fellowships. You had East Side and West Side and you had um, Jerry uh, Hammond, Indiana there with Jack Hiles and West Pacific Coast. And everybody then began to break into a little fellowship and nothing more than a little political organization hiding under the auspices of a Bible. And I grew up working for pastors, knowing pastors that were on the inside of that. And where all the little guys out there would go down to Springfield every May and for Fellowship Week. And there'd be 3,000 people down there, you know, packed up with every pastor, every big-name guy you could think of that was connected. And it was nothing more than a handshake and hobnob and just get to know this. And I'm looking for a job and can you give me one? And it was all political. It's where they invited, they, they voted for the president every year of the fellowship. Kind of like the Pope for a Baptist. And I remember I was driving back and forth with a pastor that I was working for at that time who was really dialed in down there. And we would talk back and forth. And he would tell me how that there was two pastors that were wanting to be the president. He was not one of them. But there was two guys that were. And these guys were doing what all politicians do, calling all of their pastor friends and trying to get their vote because that's how they got voted in. And he was laughing about it because this one guy, nobody wanted, but he was calling all of his Baptist buddies, and they all were saying, yeah, we're going to vote for you. But underneath the table, nobody was going to vote for him, and it was all a sham. And then they got, the, they got the guts to get up there on that last night and thank God for his guiding movement through all this to pick a leader for the next year. Ridiculous. The most corrupt system on the planet but that's the way it works. I remember when First Baptist of Raytown lost their pastor and everything was in disarray for a long time. And they were running probably three or 4,000 people. There was another guy out in Lee Summit that uh, had a church and he probably was running six or seven, 800 people. And this is how it works. One of the head guys from First Baptist go out and meets with the pastor from this church. Here's what he says. I got a thousand people following me right now to do whatever I want them to do. I thought when I heard that, I I, I must be mistaken. I thought that was the job of the Holy Spirit of God. (laughs) Guess not. And he said, I'll tell you what, I will will double your attendance. I will bring a thousand people into your church overnight if you'll give me a job as a pastor on this staff and guarantee me this much money and, and I'll do it. And they bought it. They did it. And overnight, this was the fastest growing church in the history of Christianity. Went from 800 to 2,000, 1,800, Friday night to Sunday. Why? Because a political move was made. And yet we'll get up in the pulpit and thank God for that. We'll pretend that God had something to do with that. We'll pretend that that's the way it works. And watching that through all of the years, I've learned three great truths. And the first truth I've learned is rich people never build anything, especially not churches. Their money will always be 99% of the time and will always come with strings attached. They'll pay for this, they'll do that, but because they're putting their money into it, they want control of it. They have bought their way through everything in life and now they think that they can buy their way through any church they go into. It's just the mindset that they live in. And there's always strings attached. It's never going to be take this for the glory of God. It's always take this for the glory of me. Name this chapel after me. Name the first five benches in the pews after my mother. 
named the restroom after my uncle. We never really liked him much. <laughs> Second thing I learned was about elite people. Elite people don't build anything either. They think they're better than most people and are above the nasty, dirty jobs of ministry that sometimes have to be done. Elite people don't want to get their hands dirty. They don't want to get down in the mud and the blood. Uh, to them, they, you know, they will pick and choose what they want to do uh, and, uh, you know, that is worthy of their status. Absolutely worthless. You know, the apostles fell into this category Back there in Matthew chapter 19, I don't know if you remember that story or not, but one time uh, they brought some little kids to the apostles. And the little kids wanted to see Jesus. And the apostles wouldn't, wouldn't bring them to Jesus because you know how little kids are. We got our own little kids here. They get dirty. They get hands are dirty. You know, they, 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 they're out there. They want to go see Jesus. Well, the apostles by this time, I mean, you got to understand, they were in the ministry of the Lord. They already ordered their big bus they were going to travel through the Middle East in. They had painted on the side, disciples for Jesus. They had all had uniform robes that they wore that had rank bars on them. And when these little guys, these little kids came up to wanting to see the Jesus, they would not allow them to go see Jesus because they weren't important enough. They were working on the big time people that was going to give them some credibility and stuff. And you know what Jesus said? He said, suffer the little kid to come unto me. And then he added to it another place, except you come to me as a little child. You have no part of me. Ever meet a child that was a millionaire? Corporate executive? You see, when you want to get anything from God, you got to come as a child. You got to leave your education, your money, your mindset, your status in the back seat of the car. And you come just like a little kid. I remember one time years and years and years and years ago, both my daughters were, we were going to Ohio. And it was early morning and, and uh, I don't remember which one it was. It might have been Kelly. I think Jamie was, was sleeping. She always slept more than anybody else. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know, maybe it was both of you. But we're, Barb's asleep. And we're driving down the road. And this guy in a big Cadillac, he, you know how they come up along, well, I'm in the inside, he comes up alongside of us and he just there for a moment and then he just goes on by. But when you looked over, obviously early morning, he had his two little fingers on the steering wheel, had his head back, you know, things oozed back like that. And he was just cruising along. My girl said, Daddy, that guy's sleeping in that car. Well, immediately. It's early morning. I'm bored. I said, yeah, kids, that's one of those new remote cars that you can get that you just sleep and set it in and it goes wherever you want it to go. He had those big fender things. Remember those big wires that stick out, curb feelers or whatever they're called? And I said, you see those? Those, those pick up the sensors in the road on the white markers. Keep him right. And he had these big things. I said, those big things on the bumper, they, they pick up cars from heat and slow down and go up. And they say, Daddy, really? And I said, absolutely. 
I said, that's, it's one of the new technologies they came up with. Daddy, can we, we get a car like that? No, no. We, no, they're really expensive. But he's just sleeping there, and he, he'll probably wake up about an hour before he gets home. There's a little alarm in there that'll wake you up, and you're safe and sound, sleeping like your own little bed. About that time, Barb got moving up a little bit, and the kids are really excited now, so they're telling her. <laughs> yeah, you, that's how it went, exactly that way, like that, yeah. But my point is this. You know, that's the way you ought to be with God. Whatever he tells you, you ought to just believe like a childlike faith. I mean, if he tells you that's a remote car, it's a remote car. If he tells you the moon's made of green cheese, get you a sandwich and cut a slice. We have to have that childlike faith. That's what makes it work for us. And when you get status, when you get money, when you get higher than you think you are, you lose that. That's where the apostles were. That's where they were. I'll tell you the third thing that I learned, and this is certainly the most important. Churches are built by men and women who are just common people. Men and women, families who have to deal with bills and mortgages and car payments and, and, and medical bills for the kids. I'm telling you what, for everybody who wrote about Martin Luther and George Whitfield and for every book that was written about Jonathan Edwards and Bob Jones Sr., uh, or some other famous preacher, there's 100,000 little guys out there that nobody ever knew their name and wrote nothing about that did the work of God. You see, when you're in that position as a common man, that's where you really learn what faith is all about. That's where you learn the meaning of sacrifice. When you have to look at your family and decide you're going to do this or you're going to do that, that's what is the premise to teach you and show you in the Christianity it's the same way. The common man with a common Bible. They're under no illusion who they are in their struggles. <clears throat> it probably still comes out, but there used to be a goofy magazine out, put out by Bob Jones University called Faith Magazine. And it was for Christians and everybody would get it. I always used to look at that. And I never, I never read one in my life. You know why? I didn't have to. Because I knew a magazine called Faith Magazine that was put out by men and women who lived on tax-free property that never had to fix a busted toilet or change a light bulb. They had a maintenance crew do it. That never had to mow their lawn. and never had to fix their car. Never had to sweat out a house payment or a car payment. And you're going to write a magazine for these common people that talks about Faith Magazine? Are you kidding me? You want to learn faith, just go through life as an individual just like you are. Have to sweat out the things of life that come your way and God uses those things to prove himself to you. Learning to walk by faith and not by sight. Men and women who are willing to do whatever the job that needs to be done. These men and women are the lifeblood of any church. They're what makes it work. They're what keeps it going. And because of their salvation, uh, they, they, uh, they, 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 they thank God for everything. And they're the lifeblood of any church. And they're willing to do whatever God called them to do. But not the rich and the famous. They're like, they're, every time something happens, they're, they're always paying attention in a church. They realize the importance of a church. They're like my old lieutenant when he used to go down the perimeter before nightfall. He'd say, oh boy, ears up, eyes open. There isn't a person that comes through that church 
that door that's a new that's a new person that they ain't over shaking hands and finding out about or you brought them here and you're finding out about them or you see them and you're shaking hands and getting to know who they are you're not sitting over your by yourself someplace or doing this or doing your own thing eyes open ears up you're seeing what's coming in that door and how many times have I got a phone call after a week or so, somebody saying, hey, Bob, uh, so-and-so just started coming to church, and, and I've been kind of hung up with them and hang out with them and got to know them. And is it okay if I see about they want to be discipled? Oh, no, certainly not. <laughs> they see what needs to be done. They understand what a church is all about. Not the elite. And as James 2.9 says, you have sinned and have convinced of the law as a transgressor when you respect, have respect to people. This church or any church is built by men and women who love God in the book so much that they're so thankful for what God has given them. And there's nothing that they won't do for him. There's no job that's too dirty, no job that's too mundane. They realize that from the cleaning crew, from cleaning whatever, doing whatever, you know what? It's our church. There's a job that needs to be done. And there's people walking in that door all the time who are looking for somebody, something, or they wouldn't be here looking. And we have the opportunity to meet that need. Back in the Civil War, I remember I read this story about an 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 old dove. Southern go boy by the name of Peter Appleman. And he was a big old farm boy, man, and he was about six foot ten, and I mean he was just as hard as a rock. And uh, they were they were in trenches and about a hundred yards out there was a y- Yankee trench and they were all over there and it was about the middle of the night. And oh Peter Appleman got bored. So he 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 heard the commander talking about they need to get some prisoners, so he just on his own climbed out of that trench snuck over there, jumped down into that hole. There was about three union guys on picket duty. He cracked two of them and knocked them out, knocked the other guy out, threw him over his shoulder, carried him all the way back to those lines over 100 yards and threw him down there. And I mean, the whole place just erupted. And the commanding officer came out and said, what is going on? And Peter Appleman said, and everybody was standing around. He said, there's that there Yankee prisoner you wanted. There's a whole bunch of them over there. You all could have had one if you wanted one. There's all kinds of people out there with needs. You all could have one if you wanted one. But the common man sees that. He doesn't care what he's got to do. She doesn't care what she's got to do. Because at the end of the day, it'll all lead a road back to what God wants us to do. And that'll be people. And in ministry, you're either a people person or you're not. Listen, if I have any success as a pastor, and I'm not saying that I do, it'll be because of one simple element that, that I have followed all my life, really, too. But the first one is simply says that everybody that God ever gave me was important to me. I don't care who they were. It, it didn't matter to me. Everybody in this room brings something special here. You're not all the same. Everybody has different abilities. You certainly have different gifts. I mean, uh, you know, my job is to make you take you and make you feel as special as you really are. 
Because God brought you here. He could have put you anywhere. And when I look at you, I don't walk up here and just see a crowd of people. I see individuals that in your own life, for whatever reason, God put in your heart to bring you here. That makes you special to me because it makes you special to God. And then I got to look and see what you bring into this party. I don't pick and choose who I love and who I don't. I don't have that option. I look at you and sure, there's people that that maybe you do things that I don't appreciate or I wouldn't do. I get that. And I know there's people that that you do dumb things and some of you have sin in your life this morning. I get that. But I'm not going to hold that against you and I'm not going to put a preset in my mind that you're a worthless person. Do you know why? I'll tell you the biggest reason why. Because I didn't look too hot the first time God saw me either. But he loved me. And he loves you. And the real thing is God loves the very people that some of us don't want to love. Second thing is when I got into the ministry in 1972, I did every job, big or small, that God ever gave me to do. And I understood that great principle by then of Matthew 25, 21, that if I just stayed faithful in the little things, that God will take it and develop it, make it the big things. And that's simply what it is. That's simply what it is. You know, in in the military, it's the difference between an army officer who graduates from West Point and an enlisted man or an NCO who, in the battlefield, earns a battlefield commission and becomes an officer through combat. Where one thinks himself as an elite West Point, the other came up through the ranks under, the, under, under all the combat that he goes. One's a textbook warfare, the other one's real combat. One of them is an elite status, and I went to West Point, so, you know, and that's a big thing in the military. And actually, the combat guys that got their commissions, they're looked at with disdain. They're not looked at in the same rank, even though they may hold the same rank. But you know what? The enlisted men know who to go to when the hits the fan. They really do. They want somebody with experience. And my job here is to build leaders with character. I want to hand out battlefield commissions. But I also know that you're not born with character. Character is not something that you just get. Character has to be built into you through discipline. It has to be built into you through hard work through structure, through sacrifice, through accountability, through a principled life. That's where you get and build character into somebody's life. And you'll never build character in anybody's life by picking and choosing who you like or who you don't or who you're going to cater to or have respect to. You'll build character by seeing what needs to be done and then doing it even when you necessarily don't want to do it. And God will take that and bless that. But you see that it needs to be done and you, you do it. It's just that simple. And I don't care if it's working on a cleaning crew. What a nasty job that can be. We ought to have people standing in line waiting to do that. But we don't. I, I think, uh, you don't mind me saying this, I think of Jeffrey and Cheryl back there. Can't drive. Blind, there is no greater blessing on this planet than to bring them to church on Sunday. 
at the judgment seat of Christ, if you did nothing the rest of your life, God would give you rewards and bless you for that because maybe you don't care about the things of God here, but you're bringing two people who really do. I'm telling you, people like that are in value. I mean, they're out there on the, he's out there on the street every time the street crew's out. He's out there doing it. I mean, can't see, got a white cane, and just out there, guy going out with everybody else, walking five or six, seven, eight miles. He's not in a fixed point, which there's certainly nothing wrong with. He's moving up and down all the way through there. People like that in your church, when we're all normal, are invaluable. They're, they're a lesson to all of us. I think of Dale and Rachel back there. Bozy. Yeah, Bozy. It'd always be Bozy. I don't even remember where Bozy got started. It was about 35, 40 years ago. But, but you know what? I affectionately call him Bozo. <laughs> he went down to the mission last Sunday night. Can't talk very well. Can't walk hardly at all. Has to use a walker. Wouldn't be your first choice to put in a preaching scenario, probably by most guys, would it? When he got up to give his testimony, you could hear a pin drop in that place. Every eye, where if I got to preach or some of the other guys can preach, fights break out, they argue with what you say, they get mad at this, they start fighting among themselves. Let me tell you something. There wasn't a word being said, and you could hear a pin drop when he laid out his testimony. I'm telling you. And by the way, I'm going to have you give your testimony New Year's Eve when we have our big blowout. You know what? And I'll tell you, here's a guy that drives me nuts. I'll get a phone call. Hey, Bob, when am I going to get to do something for the Lord? And I said, well, Bozy, we already got you set up to do some things. And he says, yeah, I know. But he says, is, uh, is Charles going to pick me up for the mission? And I said, well, Bozy, this is only Monday. I'm sure he probably is. <laughs> and he said, well, I, I just want to make sure because I want to serve my God and Savior and I want to be used of God. I wish I'd get a thousand phone calls like that a week. But don't call anymore this week, okay? <laughs> and let's not forget Rachel. Rachel, there's a place in heaven for you. <laughs> Miss Bozo, I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm telling you, folks, God gives us people like that. He gives us people like that to keep us honest. Here's people who, who the world looks at. In most churches, they wouldn't give them a second look. You think a big church around this town is going to care if Jeff and Cheryl gets to church? They think when they have a $50 million sound system that they break dance on and they can sing all kinds of music and make your voice sound like an angel from heaven, they're going to let Bozy speak into it and take a chance on breaking it? I'm telling you, God gives us people like that and praise God for them. And they're a treasure in this church because it keeps every one of us honest. 
And rough time, I'm sure, I'm sure that both Cheryl and, and Jeffrey and Bosey, you know, asked themselves, or maybe, maybe they do, maybe they don't. Maybe they said it a long time ago. Why, God, did I have to be this way, but I want to serve God so much? <coughs> why couldn't I just? I'll tell you why, because you'll get more done for God the way you are than if God would have left you the way that we are. And I'm telling you, don't worry about it right now, kids. There's coming a day that you'll be singing and dancing down the streets of heaven, Amen. and everything's going to be okay. Do any job that God gives you to do with all the fervor that God put into death on the cross. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is a great chapter on on all of the relationships that uh, we have in ministry. And chapter 1 talks about how a pastor needs to be run with his people. And he does that by going through the things with them, not making them just a number on a giving record or somebody in a file or somebody that you don't even know who they are. I remember one time Joe Olstein got up and gave honor to this guy who had died that had been a, had been a, a, a person who was a, a, a greeter and a seeder in his church for over 30 years. And he said, faithful, everyone, on and on about this guy. And then he kind of just kept his mouth shut. And he said, you know, I never had the privilege of meeting him. <laughs> yeah, that's because you're too busy up there shaking Mr. Moneybanks. How are you today? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, well, it looks a little fat. <laughs> just a joke. I know how it goes. A leader will be the first boots on the ground that the last boots off the LZ. And you'll never be, you'll never be that as long as you respect people. Be a specter of persons. Forget the elite. Everybody on equal footing. You all get the same Bible. You all have the same opportunities. No politics involved. As it's laid out into the Bible, you know what it says, examine yourself, know yourself, and then you prove yourself. Like Samuel in 1 Samuel 3, let none of the words fall to the ground, and God proved him and established him. Like Paul in Acts chapter 13, had the great message of God to take to the Gentile world. Well, what did he do? He got in the New Testament local church and did everything that everybody else did for the church, sent him out. using the models in the Bible to make people better, helping them, never hurting them, taking men and women, boys and girls, taking the raw ability and taking many times that ability is held behind stupidity or immaturity or insecurity. But somebody has to be able to develop them into men of character and women of character. Last part of verse 21. For a piece of bread, that man will transgress. Now, I want you to note that this is a place in the Bible where the bread here is not talking about the Bible. It's talking about a literal piece of bread. And it's simply saying that the pastor or the Christian who will respect one person over another will sell out his ministry to those people in time. 
Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 2, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. The job of every church, the job of every pastor, without a doubt, is to simply renounce the hidden things and to manifest the truth and preach the truth and commend yourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And you can't do that respecting people. I mean, I love you all, but I love the book more. Now, when you don't do that in time, you'll start to cater to people and you'll change your preaching, you'll change your mindset, and in time, you're going to sell out. They will give you what you want, but they'll always want something back and you'll get caught in that trap. One of the great rules I learned to never put yourself in the position where you take from your people. Never. You always be there for them. And when they take care of you, when they pay the bills and they continue uh, doing everything the way God wants them to do it, uh, you know, the rich people, they'll come in and they'll just they'll do everything. I've had them come in and say to me, hey, you know what? When we started our church, there was a guy came in here and said, you know what? I'll tell you what. I'll pay your salary for a year. We'll do all this. I'll pay all the bills. I'll pay all that stuff. And he said, and I said, you know, no thanks. I don't think that's going to work. You know why? Because I learned a long time ago. When somebody does that, they own you. And then they're going to tell you down the line. And then when their kid screws up or gets in trouble, you try to deal with them, you're going to have hell to pay because of the fact that they put their, all their money in it. No, thank you. No, thank you. Don't ever let yourself be held hostage. Don't ever let someone threaten you to leave the church because of what you've got to deal with. The sample is simple. See ya. In German, that is, Achterleben de gone out. Thanks, Melissa. I got that. (laughs) Now, when you put them in a place of power, position of authority, hey, man, you're dead. You're dead. So you'll change your preaching not to offend them so they will stay because now they've got all this investment. You won't deal with the issues that need to be dealt with. You'll never allow yourself because you won't. And you never want to allow yourself to be held hostage by that. Jeremiah chapter 48 verse 10 says, Cursed be he that doeth the work of the Lord deceitfully, and cursed be he that keepeth back his sword from blood. And honestly this morning, all of us, me included, when we need leave here this morning, we all need to be bleeding a little bit. But with that verse, 99% of God's pastors today are doing the work of God deceitfully. They're never going to preach anything that needs to be preached. Verse 22. He that hasteneth to be rich hath an evil eye and considereth not the poverty that shall come upon him. Now the verse will stand as a great general truth about anything in life, but here in the context of, of the riches. Simply what he's saying here, there's no shortcut to getting rich. There's no fast scheme. There's no overnight deals. People every year lose millions and millions of dollars. They lose their retirement. They lose junior's college fund. They lose their 401Ks. They lose their life savings. Investing in somebody's fast money scheme. You give me 100000 and in three weeks I'll give you 500000 back. It doesn't work that way. And you're broke this morning. And in our context, in a general way, he's simply saying there's no fast track to building people or building a church. In fact, there's no fast track to anything in life. 
I mean, it took the apostles, it took the Lord three and a half years to train the apostles to take over when he went back. I've given it to you before. I think it's out of, Rome, uh, out of Acts chapter 19 there that in God's school, and we're in school for life and we learn seven classes that you better go to if you're a child of God, if you really want to learn what God has for you, and it's a school. Seven classes you better make sure you get through. And none of them are a drama class. You saw Samuel in 1 Samuel 3, the process. Many models in the Bible. But God's people today are always looking for a shortcut in life. They're looking for a short, fast food lane. You know, it used to be that you ate around the table and mom cooked a meal. You don't anymore. I know moms and dads work. It's hard to do sometimes. So you go to restaurants. Nothing wrong with that. Everybody loves restaurants. But I know now that years and years ago that when the society changed, the restaurants, uh, they, they weren't fast enough, so now they put fast food restaurants in, like McDonald's and Burger King, which I'm not arguing with. And you went in there and got what you want, and that wasn't fast enough to put in a fast drive through lane. Then that wasn't fast enough, now you get an Uber driver to bring it to you. Fast, fast, fast. Everything has to be fast. Fast money. You invest in this. All the schemes that people come up with. Fast lifestyles, fast relationships. I mean, everything he wants to get to the head of the class. We're in the middle of a big scandal right now about all these movie stars that paid all these hundreds of thousands of dollars to get their kids to the head of the class in all these premier schools and got busted in it. Everybody tries to buy their way through everything because everybody wants to fast track. Well, let me tell you something. There is no fast track when it comes to building the church. There is no fast track when it comes to the Bible. You build a church one family at a time, and you build a person one person at a time. That may be the way it works in the world, but it should never be that way in ministry. You have to earn your way. Notice he says the evil eye. That means you're focused on the wrong things. You're looking at the wrong things, looking at things the wrong way. And that's what he's talking about with the evil eye. And then he says, uh, note, and he says there, and considereth not the poverty that shall come your way, that you may have great possession, but spiritually and biblically you're bankrupt. You don't know anything about the Bible. So when the real issues of life do show up, you're, you're, you're lost, man. You don't know what to do with it. You'll find where money will fail you is when your health goes, your kids get sick, and everything in your life that you thought was real falls apart. You see how far your money goes at that point. where the common man builds his spiritual relationship one principle at a time, his spiritual bank account. The elite uses his status or money to influence to get what he wants. But in the end, he winds up broke with nothing to show for it. Verse 23, He that rebuketh a man afterwards shall find more favor than he that flattereth with the tongue. Now here's a, a great verse and a great principle. And this goes along with verse 23. We saw in Colossians chapter 3, verse 25, where it says, But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. It doesn't matter your status or how rich you are. You cross the line, you get dealt with. It's just that simple. Simply, you preach the book, you spare no one's feeling. Truth is truth. As the old saying goes, if the shoe fits, you wear it. And the favor here is not the favor of man. Though I must tell you, you know, I preach hard messages. Last week was a hard message, and I probably had 30-plus people throughout the day with all we did come up and said, man, I really needed that message today. Thank you very much. And, you know, in every case, you'll find that, but you'll find 
nobody came up, but you'll always just go with any crowd. You're going to find one or two, three people that, that get upset about it, don't like it. And to me, that's always been so stupid. I mean, if you're not guilty of what's being preached, what's there to get upset about? I mean, you betray yourself. I mean, it's, it's just that simple. The Bible says, and it's a familiar verse for all of us in Proverbs 27, verse 7, it says, the full soul loatheth the honeycomb, but to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. We don't always like everything that comes out of the Bible. We don't always like everything that gets preached to us. I know I don't, and I'm only had to preach it. You only got to hear it once. I had to work on it all week. This is how a New Testament church should operate. You should be so in love with the Word of God. You should be so in love with the Lord. You should be so thankful for what He did for you, the forgiveness that you gave, he, she, he gave you, the, the, everything that He's given you. How can you not give that to somebody else? I just don't get that. Leadership gets established through the church by what you allow God to do in your life and how you respond to it. And it never ends. It's a lifelong experience. I've heard people before tell me, well, you know, I did that back in the day, you know, and I did all those things. And, you know, I'm past that now. I don't do those things anymore. Let me tell you something. That's somebody I want to stay away from. I've been doing it for almost 50 some years and I keep on doing it. You know why? Because it's a long school lesson and it's never out. And the Bible says we're in a warfare and there's no discharge from this war. You go through it and you do it. And no matter what it is, it isn't the fact that how many years have you done it ago and you don't do it now. Now that tells me is you ought to be able to do it better now and help somebody else do it. We're in a war. In Ecclesiastes 8.8, 8, as I said, there's no discharge from that war. And in warfare, you, you, you have to be down in the mud, in the blood, in the guts, in the dirt, no matter what. I watch all these pastors today, you know, I'm 69 years old, and uh, most of the guys that I grew up with in my day are, are out of the ministry now. They've all retired. They all convinced themselves that they did their part. I had one guy tell me when he told me he was retiring, he was getting out of it. He said, yeah, I did it for 30 years. I, give, I did my part. He says, uh, I'm, I'm somebody else's turn. I am sure glad Jesus didn't say that on the way to the cross. I thought when you got saved and you got into ministry, it was a lifelong deal. I didn't know that you got an option to bail out and move down to the dinosaur graveyard in Florida someplace. It's a thing where when you're in, you're in. Now, I may die of a stroke. I may die of a heart attack. I may become incapacitated someday and I can't preach and somebody else has to step in and do it. Maybe that'll happen at some place. But I'm telling you this. I'll never step out of here because of the fact that I'm retiring now. And I can't, you know, when you look in the Bible, the greatest guys that God ever used that didn't use them that great until they were 60, 70, 80 years old. I mean, these guys learn all this material. You go through all these mistakes. You do all these dumb things in your life, and you learn how to deal with it. You finally come to the place when you're 70 or 60, 70 years old where you now have a good handle on it, and now when you're ready to give that to the younger guys to help them, you're going to quit and go play golf? I, don't, I do get it. You see, to them, it's just a job. To me, it's my life. It's all that it is. It's all that I have. When God saved me, he saved me for the duration. There was no expiration date on my ministry of when I was to stop. It just goes on till he comes down and says, that's it. That's it. Come on, you're done. 
And I'm telling you right now, the rich and the famous will never, will never figure into the ministry. They just won't. It's one of those things where we have to realize that all we have is each other. We're all common people with a common Bible. We all make dumb mistakes. We all do stupid things. If we don't work together, then we'll work against each other. It's just that simple. If God isn't in the center of this and the two fundamental aspects of Christianity are at the bedrock of what we believe, and that is forgiveness and restoration, then we just need to go sell used cars someplace because that's the fundamental law of the Bible that it runs through everything. The reason you're here today is because God forgave you and he restored your image. And then we're not willing to do that to somebody else. Maybe that fits in the scheme of Christianity someplace, but boy, that's a good Thursday night question I'm going to ask. There's no end to it. There's no end to the ministry. There's no end to people that God will give you that will be a benefit and a blessing, and there'll be no end to the people that come in and have struggles and problems, and some of them will make it and some of them won't. It doesn't matter. We always do what's right. We don't have the option not to. And when God gives us people like Bozy and Jeffrey and his wife and Cheryl, they're, 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 God gives, I mean, most people look at it, I look at it this way. God loved our church so much, God saw where we were at and what we were doing. He just wanted to add two extra blessings to it, and they're sitting back there today. And we don't want to be part of that? I'm telling you. I watched you guys, you know, last night helping Bozy into the hayride thing. We put him right on the end so when we took a tight turn, he'd be out. But, we, but, but you know what? That's what we do. I watched you guys helping Jeffrey down on the street. That's what we do. I mean, it's, it's what... We're all in this together, guys. There's nobody better than anybody else. Nobody, nobody is an elite guy here, especially me. We're all in this together, man. We all eat the same mud, drink the same water, and get the same blood. We're all struggling to fight it together. And if we don't pull together and hang together, then we'll hang separately. And this is the key. This is, this is the essence of that great verse, that there's no respecter of persons with God. None and ever. We're all the same. We're all the same. We all have our issues. We all have our struggles. I have no right to castigate you for whatever you've done in life. I only have a right to try to help you be better. That's where I'm at with it. Because that's what Jesus would do. And I know there's things that you have to be held accountable to. I'm not saying that. There's things that you have to go through. I get it. I mean, uh, but when you do and you make it right with God, you know, I'll tell you what. I would not want God to treat me like a lot of God's people treat other God's people. And that's the key. And that is what makes this church work. A family mindset. And you know, in every family, you got crazy uncles and aunts. But they're still part of the family. You got the uncle that everybody laughs at and talks about. That would be me. But at the end of the day, he's still your uncle. And everybody laughs because everybody's got those in your family and know exactly what I'm talking about. And right now, we can all pull out pictures and hold them up. Hey, the thing that makes this church what it is is the people in it who get the heart for God and God's word that no matter what will do whatever God has called them to do. 
and we're all in it together. Nobody better than anybody else. This is what is exciting to me about this round in prayer groups because I've got people that came to me this last week that, uh, that are going to take one that, that, that hasn't taken one before, brand new. And to me, that's what it's all about. It's simply bringing you up through those levels of preaching and teaching and people working with you, people helping you, and yes, people holding you accountable. But at the end of the day, we all get to the same place we want to, and that's where we are ministering together. So with that, um, some instructions. I'm going to call uh, you 